storytelling stories from the EGA Clubhouse. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Chris Fetner with the EGA and uh, the Telling Stories uh, broadca- podcast. Uh, today, we're very lucky to have Jacques Barreau with us. Jacques is a industry veteran who's... Um, I, I dare say probably been doing this for 30 years. Uh, he, can, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, yeah. ha, has a long history uh, in, in, uh, in the dubbing and audio localization business, uh, dating back uh, for many years at Warner Brothers and, and then most recently with, uh, with TransPerfect. Uh, there he is officially the Dean of Dubbing. So we'll, 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 uh, we'll unpack that name a little bit and understand uh, sort of what it means. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, welcome, Jacques. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for uh, inviting me, Chris. So I guess I'll start with that. What is the Dean of Dubbing? What, is, uh, what exactly does that job description look like? The Dean of Dubbing. Well, TransPerfect, a few years ago, wanted to go from uh, a more corporate world to uh, a media entertainment world and starting localization for media entertainment. So they, <clears throat> they, they called me and... Uh, and um, and I came as a, if you want as a dubbing expert. So everything related to dubbing in the company um, is uh, is going through my desk, if you want. So on a, on a from the creative standpoint, from a process standpoint, when we do acquisitions, uh, you know that's uh, like a, a broad umbrella of the dubbing world, if you want. Uh, games, uh, TV, um, anything regarding dubbing. Okay, good. So, um, so tell me, Jacques, for people who don't know, how did you get into dubbing? What's your like? What was the origin story for your career? Well, in fact, um, I studied uh, at the French Conservatory of Marseille, and I studied music, and I did the jazz class. And you can see some uh, guitars behind me. And, uh, and I did the electroacoustic music class. And uh, in the electroacoustic music class, we were doing, you know, it was the time of, uh, of Stockhausen and, and Pierre-Henri and all these uh, pioneers of uh, electroacoustic music, which was electronic tape, uh, tape machine. And we were dealing with a lot of noise. And... Uh, and the, 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 the art of this music was to create music with something different than instrument or to mix with instrument, like noises, you know, things like that, which, which is now becoming very common in uh, hip uh, hop music, you know. And, um, and one of my uh, studies, and after I was a researcher at the conservatory, was to uh, define uh, and to put a name of all these sounds. And uh, so that was my, uh, my training, if you want. And, um, and after I, I, um, I came to Los Angeles to uh, create a, a recording studio uh, with two French guys, and we were doing music. And from music, we were doing post-production for movies. And we started to do... Uh, uh, you know, more and more uh, movies. And, uh, and Warner approached me and it was great. So I, I jumped in and my first gig at Warner was uh, Space Jam. So um, the Looney Tunes have not been uh, recorded for um, 20 years probably. So 
you know, I, I just started in the dubbing business and um, I, I did not have much experience and I had to recast all the Looney Tunes over the world. <laughs> so, so that was a good gig. You know? yeah. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, I started to travel and I started to see all these people and everybody was doing something different to do Bugs Bunny. You know, to do Bugs Bunny, you have to put your, uh, your uh, voice in the, in the mask. So this is the voice. Uh, to do Marvin the Martian, you have to put your voice in the front and to speak like that. That's Marvin the Martian. So that's when you understand the concept, it's pretty easy. But nobody had a concept at this time. So I, I took my my study that the, at the mu- as a musician, and I said, okay, if I can define sounds in in my electroacoustic music. I can also define the position uh, in the in the head. I can define the the voice position, and I can uh, explain what is the effect. You know, like the lift, the lift, like that effect, like that. So um, I I really use my background, and I was really fortunate and very lucky because my background was exactly what I needed to create a vocabulary. My first article published was a a new vocabulary for voice characterization or something like that. And and I was lucky because I could use everything I learned for the voices. And it was really the key to have all the actors worldwide do Bugs Bunny the same way, do Marvin the Martian the same way. And I explained my method. I defined all the positions. And uh, and and it was good. Uh, it, it went very well, and that's how I I became, if you want, an expert in uh, in voice characterization. Do you think that? Um, I mean, that was that was very common, uh, not very common, but there were some other studios that had similar departments, you know, Disney character voices and some of the other that were doing that at the theatrical level, where there's like sort of a lot of money on the line. Um, yeah. Uh, but you're now starting to see more of that um, in the streaming world. Is that is that just a natural sort of maturation of the process that you're, or is it is it a signal that streaming is really important and uh, almost as important as it is to you know be good at theatrical? Do you, what what do you make of that? The fact that people are taking all of this a lot more seriously. Well, uh, you know, streaming is a is a big part of uh, of the content now. So you stream a lot, uh, and uh, actually, I, I would say streaming is everywhere because our recording platform is also about streaming. We are streaming during the recording, so streaming is a common thing now. And there is more and more content. Uh, when I was kid, when we wanted to see a, a film, you had to go to the cinema. Or, uh, or the theater, I would say. And, um, and um, the TV programming was not as big as it is now. So now you can watch films every day uh, in, your, uh, in your bed, which was impossible before. So obviously, the, you know, we had to improve the technique of dubbing. And when I started at Warner, we were you know, uh, in in countries like in emerging countries like uh, Latin America or Asia, we were just dubbing a few movies. Uh, and after when I left, we were 
dubbing a lot more movies. And now we are doing the movies for all the OTT platforms. So there is more content and, uh, and people are taking that very seriously. And this is good for the business. Yeah. You, you, you've always been a big proponent of sort of cultural adaptation. So not just straight sort of it's that it's not just a, it's not just a language process. It's a culture process. Could you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You remember that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I do some conferences time to times and I always say, you don't dub to a language, you dub to a culture. Um, and this is the most important because um, um, actually uh, the first, I don't know if you want to jump in the history of building, but yeah, of, yeah. of dubbing, sorry. Uh, you know, the first dubbing uh, was, was American, in fact. The first dubbed movie were dubbed in Hollywood in the 30s. And uh, and it and and they failed. The Americans failed dubbing uh, French and German, who were the the big country uh, at this time, uh, just because they didn't think about the culture. They just translated the dialogue uh, and dubbed the movie. But every culture has its first its own language, its own way of talking. Uh, it's on aesthetic, which is very important, uh, you know. So um, when when the Americans are doing a, a movie and they are making a joke, you know, I, I often take this example. In one of the movies I dubbed for Warner, it was, I think, Ocean 12 or Ocean 13. Uh, the guy is on the bed and his friend is coming and say, uh, give me a John Hancock. Okay. Who knows what is John Hancock in the world besides right. beside the Americans? So, right. you know, John Hancock yeah. was the signatory of, of the Declaration of Independence. Nobody knows that. Right. So, uh, so while the French didn't say, give me a John Hancock, they say, give me your autograph, give me your signature. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's already uh, a cultural difference. And after that, I would say even going further, not only, uh, I'm not talking only about the translation, uh, which need to be adapted to the culture, but the aesthetic. You don't mix a movie in France like you mix a movie in the States. Uh, the same way you don't uh, mix uh, songs in the States like you mix a song in Italy or in France. If you go to Europe, the singers are always way more upfront uh, than the orchestra. If you take all the American groups uh, or bands, the voice is more like an instrument, more blended in the mix. So this is a major uh, difference. Another example is uh, action movies. You know, you have people in the background saying, hey, careful, it's shooting, uh, go, uh, get away. Most of the time in the action movie in America, you don't understand all these little lines in the background. Yeah. In Germany or in France, if you don't understand all the lines, they are going to say, well, we don't understand the line. So uh, that's difference of, of culture because we want to understand more the dialogue. For the Americans, dialogue is just like a sound effect. You know, blah, 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 blah. doesn't right. matter if you understand or not. So yeah. that's also, that's also uh, a difference in aesthetic. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a culture choice. The, um, 
you know, something else that I know you're sort of passionate about is, um, and you've dealt with a lot of projects, especially when you were at Warner Brothers. And, and I know that you've spoken in the past about sometimes uh, the original directors or artists are very involved in the localization process and other times they're not. Um, and I, th I think your opinion is that when they're involved, it's actually a good thing for the art. Um, but maybe how do you feel about that and, and why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, you have two ways of, uh, of looking at that. Um, I, had, uh, I had an issue one time, and I will not give any names, with one of the director of uh, one of the Looney Tune movies, but he wanted to approve all the voices. Yeah. And um, and it was very complicated because I was I was uh, you know dubbing movies and it was very uh, very uh, fast turnaround and the voices were already established. But you know in America um, they changed the, the the voices a lot, meaning that if you if you take the Looney Tunes because this is one of the property that I know very well, the Looney Tunes. Uh, in in the state, changed a lot uh, from uh, from '95 uh, and uh, from uh, Space Jam to Back in Action to the new Looney Tune. You are already three uh, different voices. Okay, if you do that in Europe, that's not going to fly because they are accustomed to one voice and they want to listen to it. So sometimes we have to explain to the director. Okay, uh, I, I, it's very nice to be involved, but you have to understand that we don't do the movie for the Americans. We do the movie for the, the, the other countries. Uh, now, obviously, the more the director is involved in the creative process to guide us, to tell us what is his intent, that's great because you are uh, you are in a better position to do a, a, a better uh, transmission of his message if you want. So yeah. you can you can really understand what he meant and you adapt it to the culture, but you keep the same message. Uh, so in this case, I love to work with director and I worked a lot with directors and uh, and it was fine. Uh, it's just when when the directors want to be involved in something that we don't control that is more complicated. Right, you know? right. Which is, which is normal, it's human. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, uh, it's the way everybody who works on a film uh, has to interact with the director, right? The director is, I, there's a great uh, line that says that they're not democracies, they're dictatorships, you know? It's like the last, I think, I, think, uh, um, uh, I can't remember who it was, Martin Scorsese or somebody who said like, you know, being a film director is the last surviving dictatorship. Uh, you know, and to some extent, it's it's sort of true, right? Uh, so uh, I want to shift gears a little bit because you know one of my recollections of working with you as peers in this industry is always how gracious you've been around educating and talking about this as a as an industry. And I remember even very early when when Netflix was getting ready to launch in new territories, meeting with you and and just sort of having very collegial meetings and. And you've you've actually taken on something sort of at a much bigger scale with the academy that you're working on. Could you speak a little bit about the academy and what you guys are trying to do? 
I love to do so, um, and that's that's my uh, that's my baby and my joy at Transperfect, really, because um, I was very fortunate that Transperfect first uh, uh, approached me, and and uh, I was very happy to to uh, jump on board, and um, and their, their first, uh, if you want, uh, desire was to create this diving academy, and um, and I've. I spend my life basically uh, educating actors, uh, training actors, directing, uh, explaining, and um, and so it was a perfect occasion for me to put everything on a, on a piece of paper and write a, curic- a curriculum. It took me practically a year to write the curriculum of the academy, and uh, and the academy is an online course, five different modules going from history to uh, animation, characterization, et cetera, et cetera. And basically it's a, it's a complete program going from voiceover to, to dubbing, to live action dubbing, animation dubbing. And the goal is very simple. The goal is um, first, we don't have enough actors, obviously. <laughs> you, you, uh, you know, every time there is a big launch for one of the majors, all the vendors are uh, struggling because, uh, you know, too much content and not enough actors. So we have to create a new pool of actors. We have to create uh, more actors and we have to create actors maybe somewhere else than in a diff, than in a um, historical dubbing cities. What I call the dubbing cities in, you know, in, in Spain, I'm in Spain right now. So it's uh, Barcelona, Madrid and Valencia. In Italy, it's Rome, Milan, Torino. In uh, Germany, it's Munich, Berlin and Hamburg a little bit. So besides these cities, if, you are, if you are an actor and if you want to become an actor, but if you are not in these cities, well, you cannot do anything. Uh, your career is, is gone or you have to take the train every time. So which right. is not very convenient. So what we want to do is we want to uh, teach people and we want uh, not only to train people on the art of becoming a dubbing actor, but also giving them the necessary tools. So the academy, and this is a unique part of it. It's academy is a learning course, if you want, but it's also working in parallel with our cloud recording system. Uh, so you don't have to come to the studio to become a dubbing actor. You can stay at home and become a dubbing actor. And and in the in the concept of creating a new pool, the um, the use of our cloud recording platform is key because this is also going to change the the dubbing game. Not only a new pool of actors, but a new pool of actors using our tools. And our tools, you know, besides being a a cloud recording uh, system, because you have a few on the market right now, but uh, two years ago, I was uh, invited uh, in Europe for a conference about artificial intelligence. And, uh, and I talk about uh, artificial intelligence in dubbing and uh, how the artificial intelligence can help the dubbing actor instead of being a, a threat for the dubbing actor. Because uh, in our uh, system, the, the, the tool can tell you 
how many takes did you need to record a track? Um, how many times did you overload your voice? Uh, if I have all this information, I can tell the actor, so be careful, you, have, you are projecting a little bit too much. Uh, you need too much time to record a track. So that's how that artificial intelligence can help on, on, at this level. Yeah. So the academy is all that. The academy is really an environment uh, it's not only a course, but, you know, all my articles are online. We created some uh, tutorials. We do podcasts. Uh, we, are, we want to create a community of, uh, of people working together, helping, to get, uh, helping themselves, uh, each other. And, uh, and so far, it's great. We have a few hundred uh, people, and uh, some of them are now on the, on the platform uh, recording. So this is uh, this is great. I'm I'm very happy. This is what I always wanted to do, and finally I can do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Good, uh, and I guess that uh, part of that is Transperfect, such a technology first company. I mean, obviously localization, but they really invest heavily in in in, um, in technology. So that's uh, it's probably a great fit for you to be there. Absolutely, and I'm one more time. I'm very lucky because uh, all the developers of our tools are in the south of France. You know, so for me, it's, <laughs> you speak their language. <laughs> for me, we, we speak the same language. We can insult each other in the same language. Right. You know, they are developers, and I'm the user. So I tell them, you need to do that, and they say, no, we cannot do it. No, you need to do that. Right. Um, but let's maybe just, we, we only have time for one more question. So I'll, I'll make it a very provocative one, which is you know, there's, a, there's a lot of money being spent on uh, deep fake audio, uh, you know, uh, people making Morgan Freeman speak German. Um, how likely is that to find, a, you know, sort of a way forward uh, and if it does, what is the timeline and what are the challenges of it? And, you know, I, I remember, yeah, yeah. I, re I, I remember I just started at Warner. It was in uh, 97 and already uh, I saw a software co uh, coming from uh, Israel, uh, launched by the Israeli army, uh, doing exactly that, morphing a voice to the other one. And it has so far you know, I saw a few of these programs. It has never been perfect. Um, the problem is really the intonation. Um, you know, you can create a voice, but the voice doesn't mean anything because the, this is my voice. And now if I talk like that, I have a different voice. And if I talk like that, I have a different voice and it's still my voice. So, you know, um, this is very complicated. Uh, in terms of emotion. I know some people are working on that. It's going to take time. But after, there is a legal issue. You know, uh, intellectual property, that's something that Americans know very well. And uh, the likeness of, uh, of an actor, you know, when I was working at Warner, I had a, uh, an army of lawyers uh, working for us, obviously. And, uh, and the likeness of an actor, you cannot just take his voice and, and do a movie. Um, so um, we we'll have to pass the, the legal issue, right. and uh, <laughs> and after well, think of the technical one. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I often wonder about that intellectual property piece because you could actually be trading a relatively low cost human uh, cost 
for a very expensive artificial one, right? In other words, the likeness of Morgan Freeman in German could be way more expensive than Tobias Meister revoicing it in, in, into uh, German, right? And I think that's, a, that's an open question that needs to be figured out. Uh, and, and a lot of times technology is way ahead of legality. Uh, right. you know? <laughs> now, now the technology, not to imitate the voice, but to create a voice, that is interesting. Yeah, uh, and, I, and, I, and that is an interesting, but, but it, even that, in my mind, poses a lot of interesting questions around commercial, you know, commercial questions, exactly. right? Because exactly. is whoever gets that first, is it going to be a plugin that everybody can access? Or like, in other words, if you, if you have a new actor today and somebody, uh, TransPerfect gets that contract to do the dub, um, you know, uh, how, and then like, you know, that actor's in a different movie, uh, you know, a year from now, um, and somebody else gets that, well, the audience is faced with kind of a weird scenario where either you, you know, they would have to be a scenario where they could license that voice, like the, the, your competitor could license that voice from you, um, or the audience would just get a completely different voice. And I think in some markets that would be really challenging. Absolutely correct, especially in all these markets, all these European markets where the established voice. Uh, established voice is so important. You know, right. they don't like to be, they don't like it to be changed. So this is becoming a trademark by itself. You know. Yeah. So it'll be. Look, it's a fascinating time. There's a lot of growth. Uh, oh. I think. Uh, I think. Um, you know, you're in a great place to get a, a front row seat. And uh, you know, I thank you so much, Doc, for uh, not only being uh, just a great resource for me over over my time in this business, but also. Oh. Uh, for really being a thought leader in it. It's really great to get a chance to talk to you. Thank you, Chris. Really appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me. Always a pleasure to talk, talking to you. You've been listening to Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. Join us next week as we discuss more topics and tales about sharing stories with the world.